Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your out-of-this-world host, Gary. Now, today's episode is going to contain a real-life tragedy that some members of the audience might find a bit unsettling, so please be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little scared. Listener discretion is always advised. Now, let's take a walk within the mist. This week's episode is a little different than the way we usually provide folk tales and eyewitness encounters to discuss our topic. This one it feels more like it should be on a true crime podcast, except for the overwhelming paranormal connection it has that makes it a mystery, one that I felt we needed to cover. Today, we discuss the Granger-Taylor disappearance. Granger Almond Taylor was well known in the town of Duncan, British Columbia. People would usually describe him as shy and awkward around people but he was gifted when it came to mechanical work. He had an innate ability to give new life to broken and forgotten machines. Granger also had the reputation for his fixation on aliens from another planet. He was motivated by culture's obsession and the phenomena at the time. There was also a possible UFO sighting at a nearby hospital that hooked him on the topic. When he disappeared on November 29th of 1980, few were surprised to see aliens referenced as the reason for his departure. There were those who were familiar with the 32-year-old's claims. He stated that he was going to be going on a 42-month interstellar voyage with aliens from another planet. Authorities wanted to close the case as a suicide when fragments of bone and his truck were found near a blast site crater in the woods. But, did authorities really find what remained of the missing man, and that he chose to take his own life? Or was this just a ruse concocted by Granger and the aliens to mask his departure from Earth? Friends and family have been divided on what really happened to the genius young man with the alien submission over the years. Chapter 1. Early Life Tragedy Granger Taylor was born on October 7th of 1948 in the small fishing village of Duncan. It was a quiet and close community located in British Columbia near Vancouver. This was a place where neighbor helps neighbor and everyone knows each other. Despite always having a close-knit and caring family, tragedy would strike him when Granger was still very young. His father drowned in an accident at a waterside retreat on Horn Lake near the family cabin. His father's death would have a profound impact on Granger's mental state, with memories of which stayed with him throughout his adulthood. Granger's mother married a kind, caring widower, Jim Taylor, a few years later, who had three children of his own. Granger and his new family all lived and grew up in Duncan together. The young boy grew to love his stepfather and siblings just as much as his own mother. 
He was, however, the oddest and most introverted of the children. He chose to focus his time working out how things operated by taking them apart and putting them back together again. This kind of behavior didn't earn him many friends at his own age at school, but that didn't matter for long. Chapter 2 Mechanical Genius Granger's intelligence expressed itself at an early age. In eighth grade, he decided he was done with school and left the public school system. Even early on, he displayed an extraordinary understanding of machines. So, instead of school, he became an apprentice to his mechanic neighbor and dedicated all of his time learning about all manners of vehicles and their inner workings. In one year of apprenticeship, at the age of 14, Granger was already able to build and restore several vehicles. Even ones that experts with many more years of experience than him had given up on as being beyond salvage. The young boy set up a mechanic shop on his parents' property where he would take on these cases that people deemed unsalvageable. But he wasn't alone now. He also began teaching local children about the mechanics of machines. His gift brought him friends. By the time he reached the age of 17, he built a working bulldozer from scraps, which he would use to help his fellow neighbors of the town with construction projects. In 1969, when he was still in his early 20s, Granger rebuilt one of his crowning achievements. He had discovered an abandoned and decaying steam train engine. This had been at one time utilized for transporting timber across British Columbia. However, now the engine was completely rusted. It was full of holes with trees growing through the chassis. The wheels had warped and seized up and completely unmovable. The entire thing was a disaster. To the young prodigy, however, he worked on this machine tirelessly for nearly two years, forming panels from scratch, and finally restored the locomotive to its former working glory. Several of his projects found themselves on display. They could be seen at the British Columbia Forest Discovery Center in Duncan. Even more so, a few were purchased for large sums of money by antique collectors. But during this whole time, Granger used his bulldozer to help his neighbors and the locomotives to give rise to local kids on tracks that he had placed around his parents' property. Many of the children in the area enjoyed spending time with Granger. His workshop was a wonderland of vehicles and heavy machineries that he had collected on the property over the years. And he amused himself working on project after project. However, it wasn't long until he felt no longer challenged and became fatigued with just working on trains and cars. He needed something more. He turned his attention to the skies and became interested in flight. He earned his pilot's license and restored a wreck of a World War II Kitty Hawk fighter. The mechanical whiz kid was able to put it back to full working order, which he later sold for $20,000. He had, in fact, amassed a respectable sum of money from his projects. He would buy scrap for cheap and then sell the finished vehicles. 
However, Granger had little use for money except to support his hobby. He never expressed a desire to move away, start a family of his own, or to do anything other than stay at his family's farm and tinker away all day with his engines in the garage. That would all change. Chapter 3 The UFO on New Year's Eve of 1969 it was New Year's Eve, 1969, and events were going to occur that would help to change the direction of Granger Taylor's life. Nurse Doreen Kendall worked the midnight to 8 a.m. shift in the geriatric ward of the Cowichan District Hospital on Vancouver Island. She was attempting to cool down a restless patient during the very early hours of the morning by opening a window. She peered out at the cool air, still dark skies, when she came face to face with what she described as a large, Saturn-shaped, unidentified flying object. It hovered 60 feet outside of the patient's window and tilted downward enough so that the nurse could observe two humanoid figures inside. They had been dressed in tight clothes that covered their faces. Her patient, Frida Wilson, stood behind the nurse and also witnessed at least the bright light and the circular nature of the item. She reported that the object outside the window was quite a bit larger than a car. The two of them rushed from the hospital room to find other witnesses. Mrs. Appleby and a Mrs. Clarkson soon joined them in the hospital room, and the foursome stared at the UFO until it slipped behind some trees. One of the witnesses scurried to a bathroom and claimed that she could see the UFO shoot off into the sky from the trees. The Cowichan Herald ran a story about a week after this incident. It even had other accounts of other eyewitnesses to the UFO on New Year's Eve. It seems there was a trucker and his wife that claimed they saw a huge light hovering over their house around 5 a.m. Later that morning, a school aide named Edith Beeling was at her elementary school when she saw the UFO as well. In fact, several other people alleged an encounter with bright lights on January 1st of 1970, as well as placing the alien beings near Granger's home. Granger read the articles and became fascinated with the concept. Chapter 4. Taylor Builds His Own UFO the newspaper article about the eyewitness accounts sparked his interest about UFOs. He had conquered every discipline that conventional machines had presented, so it was only natural for him to seek a worthy challenge from beyond the realm of human knowledge. He wanted to conquer the stars. His interest quickly developed into an obsession. Now his time was consumed with alien spacecrafts. His days now consisted of being alone, studying in vain to comprehend just how alien crafts were able to perform their fantastic aerial feats that had been reported in the newspapers. Granger's friend, Robert Keller, who was younger by about 15 years, recalled that the two of them were out one night under the nighttime stars, smoking pot and talking about aliens. Granger confessed his boredom with conventional machines. He had to know what made these ships able to travel beyond the stars. 
During the mid to late 70s, with multiple UFO sightings and a widespread newspaper articles fanning the fascination with aliens, Granger informed Keller that he intended to build his own spaceship. He was confident that his pursuit of propulsion knowledge would enable him to put that to use when creating his own spaceship and enable him to fly beyond Earth's gravity. Granger and the teenagers who hung around him scavenged two satellite dishes from the local dump to form the basis of his homemade and life-size replica of an alien craft at the bottom of his garden. Not one detail was left out in the construction. He added a porthole, and the interior featured a cast-iron stove, a couch, and other amenities to create a home away from home. Here, the mechanical genius would sit and ponder the mysteries of space travel propulsion. Unfortunately, the answers of extraterrestrial systems that could travel between planets was just proving too much of a task even for this genius. He would also sleep there in his homemade spacecraft. He studied the collection of magazines and journals detailing the eyewitness accounts of UFOs. He compiled writings of those who theorized and claimed to know the secrets of their abilities. No stone was left unturned. No article was left unread. He wrote down every detail of what he thought a UFO engine would consist of, and he felt convinced that he could build one himself. Chapter 5 Contacted by Extraterrestrials According to Times colonist writer Mike Devlin, Granger had built a radio in an attempt to communicate with extraterrestrial life. But instead of reaching them on his radio, the beings contacted Granger via telepathy. Robert Keller and Bob Nielsen corroborated on their friend's claim. Keller surmised that Granger's willingness to hear out the aliens explained why they spoke to him. He claimed that the aliens spoke to him in his mind and were answering questions about their secrets of intergalactic propulsion for their spacecraft. One evening, Granger confided to Bob Nielsen that during one of his periods of self-imposed isolation, he had been contacted telepathically by an extraterrestrial intelligence that he could not see, but whom he could hear their voices in his head. According to his cousin, he frequently spoke about going into outer space and of beings in some kind of mental contact with him. He was so matter-of-fact about it that his friends became convinced as well. He told them that he would be leaving soon, and they all seemed to accept that Granger had done and everything that he said was telling him was the truth. He had a reputation for being honest that none of them could dispute, regardless of how crazy the idea sounded. Granger then began telling his friends about dreams where the aliens would come to collect him for a journey into space. In October of 1980, Granger gave specifics to his friends Keller and Nielsen about the aliens' plans to travel around the galaxy and inviting him to join them. He claimed that the aliens intended to arrive under the cover of a storm to hide their spacecraft from public, and it would be at this time that they would find him. Some of his friends believed Granger, while others were a little bit more skeptical. 
His friends played along with it, assuming it was merely a bad dream or some other manifestation of his well-established oddities. It is also worth noting that it was apparently common knowledge that Granger used acid quite a lot during this time of his life. He and his friends embarked on a wild night out as sort of a going-away party, despite that the fact that none of them had any doubt that they would still find their friend tinkering away in his garage long beyond the date of the, his departure. But finally, the going-away party ended. Chapter 6 Storm of the Century Within a month of Granger's announcement concerning the aliens and their arrival under the cover of a storm, the village of Duncan was blasted on November 29th of 1980 by what some would later call the Storm of the Century. At 6 p.m., Granger entered and had dinner at Bob's Grill, where he was a regular patron. The waitress, Linda Barron, served him and saw that he was totally unprepared for the storm based upon his attire. He was wearing his regular jeans, a t-shirt, and a knitted sweater. He had not been wearing a weatherproof jacket or large overcoat. In fact, he was not wearing anything that would protect him against the rain or the storm. Granger paid his bill and left the restaurant by 6.30 p.m., half an hour after arriving. The storm was just beginning to tear through the town and the surrounding area. He drove his beloved Dotson truck into the night and possibly to Waterloo Mountain. Linda would be the last person to ever see him. The storm ripped trees out of the roots, poured torrential rain onto homes, and sent wind whipping through the town. Gale-force winds had knocked out the power grid for the whole town and countless properties. If the aliens planned to come during a time when no one would notice them, this was it. The entire town was bunkered down for the storm and preparing for the worse. No one was aware of Granger Taylor or his trip up the mountain. Chapter 7 Note Left Behind the next day after the storm, the citizens of Duncan, British Columbia, were cautiously emerging from their battered and broken homes to fallen trees that blocked roads, farm animals having escaped through smashed fences, and debris that was strewn across the landscape. The community of Duncan, however, was a resilient and self-sufficient one. Soon, they began a concentrated effort to roll up their sleeves and get their small logging town back up and running. Everyone was sweeping glass, clearing toppled trees, and mending the down power lines. Now, the town folk were no strangers to hard work, but there was a feeling that their efforts could have been a lot easier if they had the help of one enigmatic figure, the engineering prodigy and local legend who would have gladly helped repair the damaged mechanical systems just for the fun of it. All of their equipment could have been repaired in a few hours just by this one man. Unfortunately, he was nowhere to be seen. Word soon got out around town that he had not even been seen since the previous evening. Rumors began to spread, alleging all manner of strange possibilities, as the whereabouts of what happened to him may have been far stranger, and certainly more heartbreaking than the town folks could possibly know. 
Jim Taylor, Granger's stepfather, awoke on November 30th of 1980. He would find that Granger had gone and there was only a handwritten note tacked to their door. His first fear was that it was a suicide note, but Granger took explicit care in assuring his family and friends that this was not the case. The note was written to tell his parents that he was leaving for a 42-month trip aboard a spaceship with aliens, and after he had learned all he could, he would return. Granger had written up a will with instructions that would serve as a guide for them upon his return. On the back of the note was a hand-drawn map leading to Waterloo Mountain, possibly giving his family his location prior to the alleged launch. The letter read, quote, Dear Mother and Father, I have gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship as reoccurring dreams assured a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return home. Leaving behind all of my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger. The 32-year-old Granger removed funeral from his will and changed instances of death to departure to accurately reflect what he believed was happening to him. He clearly told his parents and anyone who would read the note that he was planning on returning after his voyage. His mother, Grace, was away on vacation at the time of his disappearance. Unfortunately, she never got the chance to say goodbye to her son. Jim Taylor and the sons of the family searched the local hospitals and roadways to track down Granger and bring him home. There was a long, drawn-out search, which would ultimately end in resignation and acceptance that he had simply dropped off the face of the earth. There was no trace of him. Not even his 1966 Datsun pickup truck. According to Robert Keller, the truck was painted a shocking Pepto-Bismol pink and would be very difficult to miss. Since his disappearance, most of the information from the time he vanished consisted of newspaper clippings and the overly enthusiastic work of ufologists. His family patiently waited out the 42 months given in the note and then began leaving the back door of their home unlocked and open for Granger's return. He never showed up. Granger's stepbrother, Douglas Taylor, worked for the Canadian Coast Guard and spent the supposed return date, June 29th of 1983, sitting on his patrol boat to spot his siblings' return to Earth. No ship ever appeared no sightings of a UFO ever occurred during that evening. Chapter 8. The Suspicious Blast Site Now, in either March or April of 1986, forestry workers found a crater several meters wide near Mount Provost, which is outside of Duncan. Among the debris from the blast that created the spot, they found human bone fragments, clothing, and pieces of a vehicle. Without any DNA testing, authorities decided that the remains were those of Granger Taylor and that the blast occurred due to the stump-blasting dynamite that he had regularly kept in his truck. Supporting this, one of the clothing pieces was identified by Granger's mother as belonging to her son. In fact, she had sewn it herself. 
Furthermore, witnesses do remember hearing a very loud booming noise during the storm on November 29th of 1980. This could have been the dynamite exploding. It also could have been thunder from the heavy storm battering the town. Less likely, it was the sound of a UFO coming in close enough to pick up Granger. Authorities would note that the most reasonable explanation was that Granger made the decision to take his own life and constructed the narrative of an extraterrestrial voyage with the intention of comforting his friends and families. This would mean that instead of telling his family that he was going to kill himself, that he would just be off wandering the stars. Some have concluded that his inability to understand space travel engines had just eaten away at his mental state and caused him to become frustrated and depressed during his prolonged periods of isolation in his man-made spaceship. It must have been frustrating for the poor man who could rebuild train engines and World War II planes to not be able to figure out something that could fly him from Earth into the stars. In fact, the giving away of all of his possessions had credibility to this theory, as why else would somebody who had plans to go away for a few years get rid of all of his odds and ends? It is unlikely that they would rid themselves of everything they owned, much less write up a will. Regardless, Granger's date of death was listed as November 29th of 1980, and his remaining family believes he is never coming home. But that doesn't quite end the story. Chapter 9 Out There Still There are those who claim that Granger may have wanted to start a new life elsewhere, and he faked his own death. If this was the case, however, why fake his death knowing it would cause his family and friend untold pain? It just would have been far easier for him to simply move. He had money in the bank, and a man of his talents would have no doubt be able to find work wherever he settled down. It is unlikely that he would be this cruel, and he displayed no signs of depression that any of his close friends and family were able to pick up on. The death may have been caused accidentally. Granger could have earnestly expected to be carried away aboard an alien craft after having hallucinated on the use of marijuana and other drugs. Could all the conversations for weeks have been connected to drug use? Could the use of acid had caused him to imagine his conversation with aliens and create this plan of him going off on a 42-month trip? As he drove the truck, which had contained dynamite for the removal of tree stumps, he could have been under the influence, although this has never been clarified by the waitress of the diner. With drug impairment and the storm weather, it is not impossible to believe that there was an accident. The dynamite in his truck could have detonated to kill him instantly and accidentally. His friend, Robert Keller, refuses to believe that someone as experienced with dynamite as Granger could have died from mishandling it. He also pointed out that the parts of the truck that were found at the blast site were listed as a baby blue and not the pink like the truck that Keller had helped paint. Keller believes that there is no way his friend would have ever taken his own life with dynamite and was far too skillful to accidentally be killed from it. He, like Granger's late mother Grace, believes that the aliens really did collect their introverted genius. In addition to these beliefs, 
DNA testing has never been performed on the bone shards found at the explosion location. Without solid evidence, the door to speculation of what really happened to Granger Taylor remains open. We can never completely rule out that Granger did have a supernatural experience beyond our understanding. Maybe he was going off to do something that we could not understand. He did not shy away from the fears of traveling beyond the stars. Instead, he walked into that experience with open arms as another challenge to be faced, as he had done his entire life. If he did travel off with the aliens, and this is true, why has he not returned as he said he would? Could the extraterrestrial intelligence that communicated with him, in fact, manipulated him into a false sense of security? Or... Could it be a matter of time dilation, as he would theoretically be traveling at phenomenal speeds? Speeds so fast that three years for him would pass much slower than for us back at Earth. Granger may still be out there, expecting to return to reunite with his friends and family after an adventure of a lifetime. So... For this week's movie selections, there are no movies that directly cover the disappearance of Granger Taylor, but I think these are good for traveling off with aliens. First, you have The Last Starfighter of 1984. The plot is, is that it tells the story of Alex Rogan, who is a teenager gifted at playing video games. Alex becomes angry at his go-nowhere existence until he is recruited by an alien defense force and he travels off into space to fight an interstellar war. There's also Flight of the Navigator of 1986. This stars Joey Kramer as David Freeman, who is a 12-year-old boy who follows a telepathic communication from a spaceship. David secretly boards it and meets its robotic commander, Trimaxian Drone Ship, or Max, who calls him the Navigator. He is accidentally abducted by the alien spaceship and travels with them and finds himself traveling from 1978 to 1986. Could both of these movies correlate to the experiences of Granger Taylor? I think so, and I think they're both good movies to watch when you're thinking about this topic. On a more factual basis, there was Spaceman of 2019, a short documentary that is about the disappearance of Granger Taylor done almost 40 years after the fact. Well, being sure to make our way back from our trip with aliens, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. I want to give special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for the introduction music. I would also like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this on. It helps promote the show. We are on social media and love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with aliens and traveling off with them of your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and also on Instagram and Twitter. We also have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share your own stories. We love to hear from you about your own personal experiences. And for those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries, we have a TikTok channel that gives a few-minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites. 
and some unknown creatures and spirits. I hope you enjoyed my story about the Granger-Taylor disappearance, and we'll come again for another episode. As a reminder, if we entertained you and you want to support the show, feel free to donate a few dollars to our Buy Me a Coffee app. It's a great way to show that you enjoyed our stories, and we'll come again for more episodes about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Until then, make your way out of the mist safely, and perhaps a little bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone.